Welcome back to Third Phase Moon, Blake Cousins. We've got a special exclusive interview today with both David Wilcock and Corey Good. They're with us to discuss the new documentary, The Cosmic Secret. Your search for truth and deeper meaning has led you here. Everyone in the UFO community is faced with how do you navigate a course through material that encompasses ancient civilizations, extraterrestrials, secret societies, and what is the relationship between those and the governance of our modern world? There is more to this reality than you are being told. A good starting point is to rethink everything that we thought we knew about history. We don't even know our own potential as human beings. I'm a researcher. I was an FBI special agent. I'm a secret space program whistleblower. Because of my unprecedented access in the programs, I was able to learn about an ancient race that they refer to as the Eldra race. They are the most evolved extraterrestrial group that has ever been involved with humanity. They take a genetic approach to help them manage this great experiment of humanity. They also bring us various belief systems. Isn't it interesting? All of religious traditions that Earth has end with a catastrophic event. We have this evidence hidden out in the open, but we don't ask the deeper questions. The CIA declassified a document that describes a cataclysmic series of events. The main message from these ETs are for us to prepare ourselves for this coming event. This so-called apocalypse is actually not gloom and doom. It's a rebirth. There will be a whole new beginning. Whoa, look at that, look at that! Insiders are telling me this will lead to some evolutionary leap in what it means to be human. First, David, thanks for joining us right here at Third Phase of Moon. Well, Blake, thanks for having me back on Third Phase of the Moon. This is David Wilcock, and we have some really great stuff to talk about today, so I look forward to this interview. Corey, hey, thanks for joining us all the way from Colorado. Well, Blake, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate you helping me promote The Cosmic Secret and your interest in my work. All right, David, let's start with you. The follow-up to Above Majestic breaks down a fascinating story of our delicate solar system and its rich history of past worlds and highly advanced race of aliens that once existed and may still be thriving on Earth today. David, can you break down the timeline of this race from the planet Tiamat? Well, The Cosmic Secret is a really powerful film for several reasons, one of which is that we've never really gone through what I would call the cosmic history of our solar system before in a film. And the legends of the exploded planet, which Zechariah Sitchin refers to as Tiamat, those only constitute actually the more recent aspects of our cosmic history. So we could talk about the whole entire history if you want, and I think that might be a good place to start. Um, I first came across information in 2003 about the idea that our solar system was in fact a cosmic junkyard, as they called it. But this information even predated that because Richard C. Hoagland in his book, The Monuments of Mars, back in 1993 is when I read the book, 
Uh, he was already showing pictures of glass-like ruined domes on the moon, obelisks on the moon. There's a very strange set of NASA photographs that don't add up with the conventional narrative whatsoever. In other words, NASA has actually taken photographs of the moon that have some very, very strange-looking things on them that definitely do not appear to be artificial. One of the classic examples is called the Blair Cuspids. And this is a whole series of what definitely appear to be obelisks coming off the lunar surface. Another example of this, there's an asteroid called Eros, and the asteroid actually has square craters on the surface. And I've had insiders tell me that that's because those square craters are actually the rooftops of underground cities that are very ancient, where the roof is collapsed in on a big square hollow room inside. And you can actually go and see those square craters. That's part of the official NASA record. So another great example is um, the actual whole shape of the moon itself when you look at the uh, seeds. But I think we have another question coming up about that in terms of the big square on the moon, if you just tilt it a little bit this way from where we're seeing it. But anyway, this is an enormous question. I mean, it could go on for a long time. We do cover it quite a bit in the movie, but it's very fascinating because the inside research really began with technology that the Germans developed before World War II, allowing them to leave Earth's atmosphere, to go to the moon, to go to Mars, and to travel throughout our solar system. And it was all the way back then in the late 1930s that they started to discover that there were ruins on lunar and planetary surfaces in our solar system. Apparently, according to insiders I've spoken to, they have now seen this outside of our solar system as well. This is another thing we talk about in the Cosmic Secret. 53 to 54 different stars that are all nearby our own all appear to at one time have been colonized by a single massive civilization that spread itself out across all these different stars, all these different planets, the population of such a civilization alone would have had to have been spectacular just to have enough people to live in all of these different places where we see these ruins. Now, what do we see again? We see obelisks, pyramids, and domes that you can see through. In the more recent past, it appears that there was an Earth-like planet where the asteroid belt is now, and that it actually exploded. We talk about that in the movie, the exploded planet hypothesis. The asteroids would be the solid matter from the planets, the comets would be the frozen water from the oceans, and this planet had another habitable world orbiting around it as a moon. And apparently this is very common, it's just that we don't see any examples of this in our solar system right now. It doesn't change the fact that it's apparently quite common. So this is where things get really trippy, that Mars, it was a moon of a super-Earth, and they both had watery oceans at the same time. They both had civilizations that developed contemporaneously with each other, and perhaps because of energetics or perhaps because of ancient colonization from somewhere else, we don't really know, but there were two similar extraterrestrial human civilizations living on these two planets, and they both had elongated skulls, they looked a little different from one another, 
and you see the differences. We map that out with computer animation in the movie, where you can see what each of the different planets looks like. But the short idea is that the exploded planet blew up at one point from the use of uh, highly advanced weaponry that they had available to them. And most of those people did not survive. They had colonized our solar system and they had a colony on Earth in what we now call Antarctica. And a whole lot of them were living in the moon. So in the movie, Cosmic Secret, we talk about what happened to the moon and how the moon ended up absorbing a massive shock wave of energy from the sun. And then a very small number of the people from this civilization crash landed from the moon base to the Earth. This is 500,000 years ago. Um, although now we're starting to look at more than one catastrophe. So there's the 500,000 year old catastrophe that was the asteroid belt. There's another one from 55,000 years ago where the last of these people that were living on the moon and inside the moon actually came to the Earth and crash landed on the Earth. Where this gets really weird is that these people left behind motherships on Antarctica that they converted into a city and those motherships are still under the ice. I've had multiple insiders tell me about those motherships. It sounds really crazy, but apparently this stuff is totally real. And there are still to this day massive bases that we have where we're studying all this stuff in the Antarctic. So all of those ruins put together are proof that these people did crash land on Earth and then they began to colonize and take over and they had the elongated skulls, they interbred with people on Earth and they created what we now call the dreaded Illuminati. So the Illuminati elongated skull people were in fact crashed extraterrestrials that came here and we talk a heck of a lot more about that in the movie. That brings us pretty much up to date with the history. There's a lot more about this in the movie that, we, that you can get into. So. I just wanted to give you a brief overview of that. Court, can you please follow up on the advanced races from possibly another planet such as Tiamat? Well, yes, actually, uh, both, uh, there were two lineages that were a part of Tiamat and Maldek. They had developed, um, it was sort of the same race that developed in different environments and then physiologically they changed. These groups did make it to the Earth, and uh, once they had developed out uh, Atlantis, they really started to pop not only populate different areas of the Earth, bring civilization, but uh, you know they they also started to play around with the genetics, which made a lot of other ET races that were using the Earth as a refugee colony upset, and it and it caused problems. And those people, because of what the, uh, the these genetic farmer races that were, you know, bringing people here as refugees, were upset with uh, these pre-Adamites and allowed them to go through a destruction a destruction here of their civilization without assisting them. Corey Good is unique because he's the first person that I know of that is both a contactee, someone who has had extensive contacts with extraterrestrial civilizations, while also being an insider of actually having worked in some of these compartmentalized programs. And what's even more significant about him is that he is trusted sufficiently by insiders to be given some of these 
documents, some of these defence intelligence reference documents, to basically release to the general public to get people up to speed with the possibility of these kinds of advanced technologies existing. The theory about the law of one, that it is the power to travel amongst the stars, galactic travel. Can you tell us a little bit more about its technology, features, and the characteristics behind the Law of One? Well, that is a very important question because it relates to everything that my work has been about. Um, I first discovered the Law of One material back, actually I first heard about it back in 1995 when I read a very enigmatic book by Dr. Scott Mandelker called From Elsewhere, the subculture of those who claim to be of non-earthly origins. So there was a whole reference in the book to this material called the Law of One. And I had never seen or heard about this before, but I started to look for it. I found it in a bookstore in Albany uh, called Borders. It was on Wolf Road in Albany. And I started to read the Law of One eventually, and it was so amazing because this material tied together everything that I'd ever been studying on so many different topics. It was so vast and far-reaching. It tied together material on the global grid, which is the very fascinating discussion about where the pyramids on Earth are located, that there's a geometric pattern that the Earth's energy fields are flowing through, that the 12 major nodes on that grid are where all the vanishings and disappearances of ships on the ocean and airplanes in the air take place. The Bermuda Triangle is only one out of 12. They're equidistant from each other, and they form a geometric pattern called an icosahedron. And then when you flip that shape inside out, you get the dodecahedron, and it's the combination of those two geometries that shows you where the continents formed, that shows you volcanic ridges in the bottoms of the oceans, and it actually happens to be a layout for all 3,300 different ancient megalithic stone architectural sites. So the fact that I'd already done this research and figured this out, and then I come to the Law of One and they're talking about it, and they're talking about it on a level much more academic and much more advanced than how I had studied it up until then. And I'm learning about all these different changes in the basic rules of physics and biology in the Law of One that could be scientifically proven. I had already been looking into the face and the pyramids on Mars. They talk extensively about the civilization that lived on Mars. In fact, even the whole thing about the planet exploding and then the people eventually migrating here, that was all in the Law of One too. And so there's a lot more to the Law of One. There's this very fascinating history about the Law of One that we go through in our new movie, The Cosmic Secret, where it appears that this civilization that actually became the source of the Law of One had been around here 2.6 billion years ago and they left certain artifacts behind on Earth. That's one of the really cool things we talk about in the movie. So I could go on and on about the Law of One for hours, but not only does it have this amazing scientific basis, it's also very philosophically useful. Dr. Scott Mamelker, the guy who wrote that book from elsewhere, said that he felt that the deepest knowledge of Buddhist mysticism at the highest levels is all contained in this, in this Law of One material. And he should know because he literally had gotten a PhD in East-West psychology, literally a doctorate in studying the best Buddhist spiritual teachings that exist. So Law of One is very fascinating. It's a key part of the movie. Within these secret programs, scientists have become aware of what they're calling a galactic superwave. 
This wave is traveling through our galaxy and has multiple layers. They describe it as being a giant dust cloud, but with different energetic variables. What they had figured out is they had flown craft out to these locations, and when they did, the energy had a very strange effect on the consciousness of the inhabitants of those craft. People who were positive would bliss out, and people who had more of a negative vibe would become more so. And they described this as an end-time madness that is carried through this wave that travels through each solar system. And when it does, the leading edge acts as sort of a Christ consciousness that forces people to judge themselves and to deal with their own karma and traumas or experience in time madness. Dr. Paul LaViolette is the first person to have studied the existence of galactic superwaves and basically looking at evidence that through different historical epochs, there have been these great concentrations of cosmic rays impacting the Earth. And Dr. LaViolette had an extraordinary theory for the existence of pulsars. He believed that these were artificially created by advanced extraterrestrial civilizations as warning beacons to newer civilizations such as ours about the existence of these galactic superwaves. And he basically looked at a number of pulsars pointing towards the Earth and the frequencies that they were transmitting at and saying that this was evidence that these pulsars are transmitting a warning to the Earth to be ready for the next galactic superwave, which if we're not ready, could actually wipe out our civilization. So the stars actually represent a clock. The stars are telling us when the end of the cycle will occur. And these historians discovered that 35 cultures around the world were clocking this procession. They had all this numerical information about the procession encoded in their myths. And they said it appears that some singular source worldwide programmed these mythologies, encoded this information into them. Well, this would be what we would call the angelic groups or the positive extraterrestrials, what the secret space program people call the genetic farmer race. They knew that at the end of the cycle that we are going to go through this process. Corey, can you tell us about the Tiamat race? They destroyed their own planet and then the indigenous race attempted to make it to Earth. Were they successful? So yeah, there, there were two groups um, and they had royal families from both, uh, from Mars and Tiamat that came here. Those groups came up with a pact that they were going into, uh, onto a planet that they knew was managed, that they were going to uh, buy uh, genetic farmer races, that they were going to take a region that they had gotten in an agreement with those groups and develop out uh, their society. Now, because these groups did oppose each other, did not get along so well, they separated the Earth into regions, and one group took South America and North America to begin to develop civilization, and the other group took uh, Africa, moving up into Europe, and then Asia. These two groups uh, were competitive, but they weren't I mean, they, they had skirmishes from time to time, to time. Um, you know, in the skies, different civilizations would see them fighting. But um, after about 
11,800 years ago and we had the last solar cataclysm, it destroyed almost all of their technology. They couldn't visit each other, so they were separated uh, by oceans, just like the rest of the planet was, uh, of humanity was. They could not communicate with, uh, you know, the, the uh, other royal families. So for thousands of years, they developed separately until the time of Columbus, when Columbus began bringing them back into contact. So yeah, they're in competition. They did war at times, but they are, you know, they're kind of like humans. We have our differences, but if an outside force comes in, we're going to bond together to fight that outside force. And they did the same thing. And uh, they were in competition with a lot of different ET groups and them being able to pull together and stick together is what allowed them to survive. My name is Corey Good. I'm a secret space program whistleblower and a extraterrestrial contactee. Because of my access and clearance in the programs, I was able to learn a lot more than what is generally available about the history of our solar system. So during the time that I had this unprecedented access, I also started to look deeper into the history of our cosmos. And I started to find little bits and pieces about an ancient race that they referred to as the ancient builder race. And they called them that because they knew nothing about them. They had found ancient structures all throughout our solar system and other solar systems that were around 2 billion years old. This is also a distinctly fascinating correlation because for many years, I have found connections between what the insiders are telling me about the secret space program and a unique body of material called the Law of One. The Law of One material claims to be given to us by extraterrestrials through a telepathic communication. I lived with the people who did this telepathic communication for two years. Their group is called LNL Research. The source of the Law of One claims that they originated on the planet Venus when Venus was Earth-like. They were similar to us, as in third density, third dimensional, if you will. And they said that they date back 2.6 billion years ago. Now that is amazing because we didn't know about the Klerksdorp spheres back then. And yet the dating that they gave in the law of one for when they were third dimensional like us is exactly the same as the dating of the Klerksdorp spheres. And best of all, in the law of one, they say, they had a particular affinity for the pyramid shape and that they built it extensively. Therefore, it does appear that the solution to the mystery of who is the ancient builder race is that it was the group identifying now as Ra, the group that actually gave us the Law of One material, the same group that ultimately contacts Corey Good, appearing as blue avians, now in sixth density, billions of years later after they were like us, they, they are the most evolved extraterrestrial group that has ever been involved with humanity. David, the conspiracy theories go nuts in regards to your theory about the moon possibly being hollow and it was strategically placed in orbit. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? So we do have some conventional uh, speculation about the moon potentially being hollow and this started around 1970 with various things that were being noticed. For example, when Apollo 12 left the moon and it discharged its uh, launch booster rocket, 
the booster rocket fell to the moon's surface. And the moon's surface, once it fell, then rang like a bell for approximately an hour. There are definitely skeptical explanations that you can find online. You know, Wikipedia is now infamous for only having the skeptical, boring explanations on things. They say, well, there's so many seismic monitors on the moon. We would know if the moon was hollow. And maybe this was all a misunderstanding about the way that the moon echoed when this launch booster rocket hit it. But you have to understand that this goes a lot deeper than that. This is intel that I have received from people who proved to me that they had worked in highly secretive government programs, military programs, and it's considered common knowledge that it's not like the whole moon is hollow, but it's that the beneath the surface of the moon, there are cities that you could live in, and in some cases, it's as many as 10,000 floors of these cities. So the speculation based upon what people saw was that a something that's only the size of a baseball is sent backwards through time. They can send solid material objects through time portals that go back many, many millions of years. And inside that baseball is a bunch of nanites, little nano robots. And believe it or not, they are self-replicating. They know what they're doing. You have it go back in time, and then you have it crash into the moon that you want to terraform. The little robots come out, and they start replicating themselves, and they start digging tunnels, and they will build, based on kind of like an artificial intelligence, they will build as much of an underground city as they can. But they have to have certain types of metals. So one of the funny things I've heard about this is that different parts inside the moon, the cities go deeper than others because it depends on what kinds of metals these nanobots could find inside the moon to develop into the city. But in the thickest areas, you got 10,000 floors. The implication is that the moon was a very ancient technology that was used to transport entire civilizations. In other words, there are certain types of beings that you could call watchers, you could call them guardians, you could call them elders, and their job is basically to watch over every planet that has intelligent life on it and make sure that those people are safe if anything happens to their planet or their solar system. And you, you have to not violate their free will, so this has to be done in a way where they wouldn't know what was going to happen until right when the rescue squad is necessary. So because of this, what we end up seeing is that a moon can be used to camouflage the packaging and the transportation of a whole planet worth of people and their biosphere from one place to another. That is apparently what the moon is. Our moon is, a, is an old junker car back from when this was done with physical moons. And the sheer number of different insiders that have told me about this is absolutely mind-blowing. And that's a very important part of the story. But in the movie, we go through some of that insider information. We talk about the mysteries of the moon, and we talk about how it fits in with this greater puzzle that we're exploring right now. Right now, millions of people on this planet are already in contact with extraterrestrials, and they don't even realize it. These beings are contacting us through our dreams and through our subconscious, and many of the thoughts and ideas that we're coming up with don't originate from us.
The purpose of contacting people through their dreams and subconscious is to acclimate them and prepare them for open face-to-face -face contact. Well, I'm James Gillen, and we're here at ESETI Ranch. Well, ESETI stands for Enlightened Contact with Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Yeah, the beginning of ESETI was actually came in visions. I was focused on creating a healing center, and about probably halfway through of building this center, they started showing up, the ships started showing up. It's got a double, it's got, it's yeah. weird. They, whoa, whoa, thank you. That is unbelievably bright. Whoa, look at that, look at that. Whoa. My name is Peter Maxwell Slattery, and I'm from Australia, and I'm a lifelong experiencer with probably the largest catalog of uh, UFOs, paranormal activity captured on camera and video in the world. I was approached to what I can only call is liquid blue light beings. And the information exchange from that experience, it didn't last too long, but there was like, it's almost like somebody st stuck a USB stick in your consciousness and all this data, imagery, information of a wide range of scope on different aspects of not just humanity, but who we are, where we come from, all this data just came flooding in. One of my favorite quotes from Nikola Tesla is that he said the gift of mental power comes from God, the divine being. And if we concentrate our minds on that truth, we become in tune with this great power. So I think what Tesla was trying to tell us is that there is this sort of divine intelligence out there that every single one of us has access to if we choose to access it, if we do what's necessary, if we open our minds up to access or to tap into that greater intelligence. So the race from Tiamat escapes their own destructive planet and now makes its way to Earth. Why haven't we seen any kind of footprint of their existing civilization from hundreds of thousands of years ago? Was there some kind of catastrophic event like a solar flare? Or was there a pole shift that could have wiped out this highly advanced civilization, maybe such as Atlantis? Okay, this is obviously one of the most contentious parts of the research that we do because when you look at what it says in the Law of One series, which again is not provable at this time, the implication is that every planet that has intelligent life on it, like us, ends up having these cycles that, at least in our galaxy, correspond to 25,000 years in length. Now, that might seem impossible, but we do know that the Earth at least has this particular orbital cycle because the stars in the night sky drift by one degree every 72 years. That's called the precession to equinoxes. 72 times 360 is 25,920, and that's the total number of years in the cycle. Now, could it be that this is something that is consistent across all solar systems in our galaxy? Absolutely. And the reason why gets back to a very massive number that was found on the Sumerian cuneiform tablets and this was discovered by Maurice Chatelain, who was the Director of Communications for the Apollo Moon Missions. And he wrote a book called Our Ancestors Came From Outer Space. It happened to be one of the very first ones that I read in 1993 about UFOs. And what he showed was that there was this number on the Sumerian tablets that was a common denominator for all the orbits of all the planets in our solar system, meaning that you could take different orbital cycles and they would all divide into this bigger number evenly. So a certain exact number of cycles of Pluto, 
a certain ex which is 25,000, a certain exact number of cycles of Halley's Comet, which I believe is 86,400, a certain exact number of cycles of Venus, exact number of cycles of Earth, with no decimal points, no fractions. They fit in perfectly. And that suggests that all the planets mesh together like beautiful clockwork of gears. So when you're looking at that kind of information, it's interesting to postulate that maybe the law of one is right and maybe the 25,000 year cycle is consistent throughout our galaxy. What we do have pretty good intel on is the idea that every time this cycle comes to an end, that the sun is energized and releases a massive blast. Now, this is becoming widely studied. It's called a micronova. That's one of the scientific terms for it. Uh, we've been calling it the solar flash for many years. It is a release of very bright white light. It's a release of heat, and it's a release to a certain degree of molten material that comes out of the star at the end of the cycle. If you are living in a materialistic civilization and they know about this, they don't see that there's a spiritual component to it, and they just believe it's a catastrophe that you have to survive. And a lot of the U.S. military and other militaries at this point are aware that this is about to happen again. And they do think the only way we can survive is to leave the solar system. Uh, and you see a variety of movies that talk about that, like the movie Knowing as one example. The movie Interstellar, of course, is all about humanity needing to flee the Earth. So this keeps coming up. If you understand the spiritual component of it, what you realize is that the sun is doing a dimensional shift. And for those people who are ready, they can activate themselves into actual superhero type of abilities. And that is the fundamental concept of ascension. It's not new, it keeps happening. And these people with the elongated skulls have survived these previous catastrophes. They've stayed on Earth. Our research in Above Majestic has concluded that these people became what we would think of as the Cabal or the Illuminati, that they do consider themselves the descendants of extraterrestrials that crash landed on the Earth. But we go way deeper into the story in the Cosmic Secret, so I hope you'll check it out. So David, how is it possible that pyramids from around the world are so similar? We have hundreds of thousands of pyramids that still have yet to be discovered in jungles, uh, beneath the sand. Was there some kind of universal blueprint in the design of these pyramids? Can you tell us the reason why? All right, well, I know in the movie, Dr. Samir Osmoganich does postulate there could be many, many more pyramids than the ones we've identified. I don't know if it's that many more. Um, I haven't personally encountered information. I'm very open-minded. If it's true, that would be awesome. But what I can tell you is that my research has absolutely shown uh, three Russian scientists named Goncharov, Morozov, and Makarov. And together in the early 1970s, they looked at this research showing that there were 12 regions on Earth where ships and planes were disappearing. When you play Connect the Dots, this was done by Ivan Sanderson, you get an icosahedron. And that shows that the points of this geometry, the points of this icosahedron, somehow become portals that take you through time and space. That's pretty amazing and pretty weird. Well, the Russians figured out that if you flip this shape inside out, you get this geometric dual, which is a dodecahedron. That's now a pentagonal-faced soccer ball kind of thing with 12 pentagons. 
if you combine those two geometries, the icosahedron and the dodecahedron together, then all 3,300 pyramids on Earth appear to have been built on this grid. Now, do I think there was a central architect who did this on purpose? Actually, no. I think it's a science, it's a physics, and the beings that came here and built pyramids needed to use this grid because its energy helps to contribute to levitation of stone blocks, anti-gravity. So, this is a very fascinating subject as well. It's one that we talk about in the movie, and there are some very compelling pieces of information in the movie where we show you pyramids in, believe it or not, Cambodia that look identical to pyramids in Mesoamerica. It's the same design. And to think that it's not the same design is, is absurd. So now we have the entirety of the Pacific Ocean in the way between Cambodia and Mesoamerica, and yet they're building according to a particular design. So we find out in the movie that there were two different races of these elongated skull people, one from the super-Earth and one from what is now Mars. The super-Earth, of course, exploded. They do look a little different, and we talk about the differences in the skull types, the two different types of elongated skulls. In the skeletals, skeletal records that we see here on Earth, the skeletons, their elongated skulls, and the differences in how they look, one group went over to Africa and Europe, the other group went through Mesoamerica and the uh, eastern half of Asia. So that's a fascinating discussion because we talk about how those two races actually are the roots of the two major warring factions of the Illuminati today. Corey, you speak about our brains being limited in its capacity of use, about 10 to 15%. What if there was some kind of unlock that could open our mind? What would be uh, the human race as of today? What would be our capabilities? Well, we use very little of our brain capacity, very little of our heart and spirit capacity right now. When we go through this solar event, all, you know, all of us have an electromagnetic field that stretches, you know, like three feet from our body. And in that electromagnetic field is information. Uh, it, they found that if they affect a person's electromagnetic field or, or put an electromagnetic field on their skull, they can cause them to have what they call a God experience or a spiritual experience. So we know how strong the magnetic field is around the sun. We're already enveloped in it. When this sun goes through a solar sneeze or this micronova, the pulsing of the electromagnetic field and frequency changes. And that field is overlapping our fields and it changes our consciousness in a way that we can't understand. A lot of people are stuck on this magical um, theory of ascension. They think that the sun will pulse or something will happen and then all of a sudden we're all flying around like Superman, reading each other's minds, you know, and it's that's not what it's like, uh, not how it's been shared with me. These beings said that ascension is nothing more than just a an expansion and a shift in consciousness. And when that, when our consciousness expands and our fields are mingling and overlapping, we begin to um, communicate, connect in ways that we never had before. 
And all of a sudden we start solving all of these problems. Like, you know, it, be, it becomes simple, it becomes a simple solution. And we find those simple solutions and we work together and we start connecting in a different way. We're exchanging information, not just verbally or through body language, but also through our electromagnetic fields, through ESP, extrasensory perception. It's, uh, um, we're gonna be connected and understand and feel each other in a whole different way which will be confusing in the beginning. But this is, it's gonna, what it is to be a human is, is going to change. And we're gonna go into a fourth density consciousness. We're third density right now, we're transitional. When we make that shift, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna all gonna be connected in a way that we just cannot imagine right now. Corey, the idea that the Earth is a huge refugee camp for an alien race is uh, pretty much unimaginable. Are they here temporarily? Why can't they leave now? When they do have the capability of leaving planet Earth, at what timeline would you expect? So the Earth has been a refugee colony for many, many millions, if not billions of years. Um, these genetic farmer groups, which are that groups that are coming into to different solar systems to affect civilizations and all living beings. They're playing around with their DNA to, to make it to where their DNA is going to expand or, or develop uh, quicker when, it, when um, exposed to these electromagnetic fields. Um, and they're uh, playing around with people's consciousness with their their you know helping people develop religions and um, different belief systems that expand their consciousness so it's all a, it's it's a giant ascension program all of these different beings are trying to get every being on every planet to go through a process of evolution that allows it to ascend to the next consciousness level. They do this so they can ascend because we're all tied to each other karmically. David, when you brought this up, it kind of got my interest. You talk about a time rip, some kind of technology that's created to maybe access other dimensions. What are the possible consequences of this? Okay, the idea of the Mandela effect is a concept that has been put around on the internet quite a bit about the concept that timelines can slip, that we can have different types of experiences in different timelines that then overlap and things that some people remember are different than things that other people remember. So the reason why it's called the Mandela effect is that some people remember hearing that Nelson Mandela died, other people do not recall hearing that he died. Um, there's a lot of weird examples. One of my favorite books is by Jenny Randall's called Time Storms. And in that book, she talks about some very, very strange cases where people's memories of their own houses change. They had a stone brick patio that then goes away. They had a piece of furniture that changes color. Um, and these are sane people. These are not people suffering from a mental illness. So apparently there can be shifting timelines and there are people from Earth's own future who already ascended, who discovered that there was a problem with the timelines where they might cease to exist, meaning we here on Earth now might not be ready for this dimensional shift. There might not be any ascension that takes place. 
So these people actually had to go backwards in time uh, by millions of years to make sure that this disaster was averted. And that is another one of the strange stories we go through in the cosmic sequence. Corey, can you go into a little detail about the continuity of these alien races? Are they uh, connected with us? Is there a universal conscious? So a lot of people have heard of continuity of government. That's, uh, you know, the United States and other groups, uh, countries have developed, you know, different plans in case there are catastrophes, wars, to where if in certain parts of the infrastructure are taken out, the others can compensate, you know, through redundancy, all of these other different measures. Continuity of species, there are, there are two sides to that. These genetic farmer races are managing all of these different solar systems. And when one star system is about to have a super, like a, a bad uh, micronova, they will take different species, flora, fauna, off that planet to a refugee planet to allow them to develop there for two, 3,000 years while that system recovers, then they will bring them back. Um, if it's not that big of a, an event coming, it will bring them underground and you know bring them off planet to preserve all species. So the secret governments of the United States, when we started finding out that the solar event was coming, not only that, it was somewhat overdue, they began to connect with all of these other countries in the world quietly and said, if you give us a certain percentage of your GDP under the table, we will take that, we'll build a secret space program, and we'll build a secret program on the Earth called the Continuity of Species Program, to where we'll build bases all over the Earth underground, deep underground, and we'll take uh, samples of each population and put them in these bases. We will save all of the genetics of animals and plants and keep them in certain areas so that after this event happens and, and if everyone on the surface is destroyed and all of plant life, everything is destroyed, that we'll be able to, to rebuild um, the ecosystem. So this secret space program part of that is taking people from the full spectrum of humanity, it's taking them off planet to different bases within our solar system and the 13 closest stars they've worked out deals to where they have bases to keep people there as refugees if uh, our sun was to have a larger nova and uh, destroyed the rest of uh, their backup programs all right so this question is for both you david and corey with extraordinary claims it requires extraordinary evidence now what if this is all made up some now, what if this was all made up by somebody creative, an author, a writer? Can you tell us if you could provide any proof to substantiate these claims? And if so, where did you get the information from? Well, certainly it's ironic that you would quote Carl Sagan when he said extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence, given the fact that we have very good intel that Carl Sagan himself, hate to say this, but it's YouTube, we can just say what we want, or at least we thought we could, right? <laughs> Carl Sagan himself apparently got caught cheating on his doctoral dissertation. He had borrowed some information and plagiarized it. Um, he was very embarrassed about it. And he was, in fact, a member of Majestic 12. So he actually knew that we were not alone in the universe, and his conclusion was that we were not ready for this information. 
So on the one hand, he's out there being Mr. Arch Skeptic and debunking all things related to UFOs. Well, on the other hand, he wrote the book Contact, which then becomes the movie Contact, where he's talking about this crazy machine that allows people to travel through portals. And that machine is essentially based on real stuff. And so Carl Sagan knew a whole lot. And in the movie Contact, you remember, there's this albino dude, really creepy looking guy, who ends up blowing up the first machine that was built. And that was Carl Sagan's dig at religious fundamentalists and his belief that we as a planet are not ready for this technology, we're not ready for this information, and that if we did hear this, that people would destroy it. So there is plenty of extraordinary evidence. That's not the problem. It's the catchphrase that people then use as a wedge to overlook really good information. We have pictures of the ruins on the moon. We have pictures of the ruins on Mars. These are not natural land formations. These are clearly artificial structures. And there is such a wealth of evidence. All you have to do actually is pick up my book, Ascension Mysteries, and read the second half of the book. It is positively loaded with references. There's over 430 references in that book, all proving that our solar system was colonized a long time ago, that there's all kinds of weird stuff out there. We have pictures of it, and we know that there is a historical case for solar flashes every 25,000 years, because that actually is information that's available, where you see super volcanoes going off on the 25,000 year cycle, you see sudden advances in genetics, the Neanderthals died out about 25,000 years ago, there were huge leaps in human intelligence exactly 50,000 years ago, and there was a Behringer crater that formed, which people think was an, a meteor that was hitting, but it actually appears to have been an explosion from the inside of the Earth coming out. 75,000 years ago, of course, we have the Lake Toba supervolcano. So you do get a 25,000 year catastrophe cycle. And again, we don't really have the time to go through all this, but we do address this in the movie, The Cosmic Sea. Yeah, extraordinary claims do um, require extraordinary proof. Um, the only thing is these programs, you know, they, they bus people to, uh, you know, a building, they bring them underground, you work, they control everything they do, you do, they observe you, a lot of times they drug you, uh, they, as you leave, they have different techniques of pe uh, causing people to uh, not be able to remember what they've been doing all day. They <clears throat> scan and weigh people so they can't sneak out any data. So. There's no way of, there's no paperwork, there's no paper trail, there's no way of really getting um, evidence from these, these beep programs. They're really good at what they do, and they compartmentalize them quite a bit. When I was first approached by not only uh, people within the secret space program, but uh, some extraterrestrial beings, they wanted me to come out with this information, and I, was, I said, no way. I said, no one's going to believe me. You know, and um, the, these beings that I communicate with called the Blue Avians, they told me it's of no consequence. And of course, there is consequence. You know, over the last, you know, four years, I've had cyber stalking campaigns. I've had people try to frame me for things, trying to um, discredit me, uh, but, you know, because they haven't been able to discredit me and my information. So they want to. Um, you know, set me up as, as being a bad person to be discredited. And it's been, there have been a number of campaigns. My information is very controversial, but 
you know, the way I see it is that um, these beings are right. Overall, it is of no consequence. I do get attacked, but when it comes down to it, all that's important is that this information makes it out there to the mass consciousness. It is very important that people hear this information about the solar cycles that are coming, so they begin to prepare themselves spiritually, so that, um, you know, when they start seeing the signs, when they start seeing that storms start becoming even more energetic, when volcanoes continue to pop, pop, pop all across the planet, when more and more earthquakes begin to occur, when we start seeing strange aurora borealis and uh, uh, plasma spheres shooting through the sky randomly when uh, we start seeing more and more of these things that's when we're getting to the point when this solar event is about to occur when people begin to see some of these signs that i'm talking about and that are actually in prophecies all around the planet ancient prophecies maybe it will be a wake-up call and they will prepare themselves with what little time they have left but as far as I'm concerned, it is okay. I know my information is controversial. People don't have to believe it. I just ask them whether they see it as entertainment or otherwise. Just listen to the information, let it sink into the mass consciousness, and uh, just watch the skies. I appreciate both of your responses to that heavy question. Now, I know you guys got something else coming up. Can you let us know what the next revealing thing is and are you ready to ascend? Well, the biggest thing that I'm so excited about right now is the fact that the Navy has declassified patents. And I say declassified, they filed patents for a flying triangle anti-gravity machine called a Hawk, or H-A-U-C, a hybrid aerospace underwater craft. It can zip underwater, it can zip through space, and it's anti-gravity. Now the Navy actually patented this and they said the reason why is because they wanted to beat the Chinese to it. The guy who did it was named Salvatore Paeus. Then the same inventor, Salvatore Paeus, also patents a compact fusion reactor, as they call it, that has as little as a thousand watts of input voltage, but can have as much output as a trillion watts, which is a terawatt. Now, just for comparison, a gigawatt is one thousandth of a terawatt, okay? The biggest nuclear power plant in America is Palo Verde in Arizona, and that puts out four gigawatts. So this little reactor, they say in the patent, could be as little as a foot wide, and it could put out a thousand gigawatts. And they also say that it could be made to run with no input power. So it is literally free energy. And then Salvatore Paeus also patented a lead zirconium titanate superconducting material where just simply giving an electromagnetic field allows it to be a superconductor at room temperature and that's the only reason why this weird compact reactor actually works okay so think about this salvatore Paeus. who is this guy there's only one picture of him we don't really know if it's him and yet this man files these patents and the u.s government makes them free to use you don't have to pay salvatore Paeus royalties it's free to build an anti-gravity machine. It's free to build a free energy machine. And the actual uh, Navy itself 
declared that these are operable. Now, to make that declaration in a patent filing means that you have already built it and it works. So the Navy actually certified that this stuff is not speculative, it's not theoretical, it actually works. This has been unfolding throughout the course of the year. The media is not talking about it at all. That makes me very upset. And I just wrote an article about it on my website, divinecosmos.com. And then one of our readers figured out that Salvatore Paeus is a code name. Salvatore means savior and Paeus means nation. The savior of our nation. Isn't that something? So that really starts to make it sound like this guy, even if that is his name, he was chosen to let these patents go. And they claim one of the reasons is that they know the Chinese are working on this stuff and they don't want to have to pay royalties to the Chinese in perpetuity as we all start getting our hover cars. Now, the chief technology officer of the Navy, Sheehy, or Sheely, I forget what it is, is in the article. He did say, this will become a reality. This is what we're going to have. So if you don't think the technology is going to take more quantum leaps, you're not paying attention. Disclosure is on the horizon. Very big stuff is coming our way. And Cosmic Secret shows you the potentials of what could be. The potentials of us moving into a true Star Trek age. The potentials of a worldwide spiritual activation that teleports those of us who are ready into some new type of beingness where we actually are like superheroes with telekinesis, levitation, telepathy, all this amazing stuff. I do consider the Cosmic Secret to be a must-see. And I want to thank you, Blake, for bringing me on and hope that your audience will enjoy all these things that we've shared. Thanks for watching, everybody, and thank you, Blake. This is David Wilcock. We'll see you next time. Oh, <clears throat> next big revealing. And am I ready to ascend? I don't, I, 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 I think we don't, there's no choice. <laughs> The ascension is coming. It's going to give everybody either end time madness if they haven't dealt with their karma and traumas, or it's going to cause those who have to ascend, you know, um, and have an expansion in consciousness. Um, as far as what we have coming up, you know, working on getting this information to the mass consciousness is my mission. So I'm going to be working more and more with people in Hollywood doing things like science fiction based on my information. We're working on a movie right now with a major A-list actor, A-list directors, uh, writers. Very exciting. Um, to get this information out in any way possible to percolate into the mass consciousness. And then, you know, people become curious after watching movies and other things we put out and then start coming to this community to start looking at all of our body of work. And then to go down the rabbit hole red pill themselves and everyone else and and more and more people will begin to awaken it is our goal to awaken more and more people to what we're talking about in ufology and in the esoteric community because what we're talking about is not conspiracy theory it is conspiracy fact and it's something that's going to unroll in the near future for everyone to see well, it's been an incredible journey with both of you, David and Corey. We thank you for joining us. Well, I want to thank both of uh, the Cousins Brothers for inviting us on the show to talk about The Cosmic Secret. Um, we really appreciate your support and the support of your fans. Please go and watch The Cosmic Secret right now. It is going to change what you thought was our cosmic history. 
What an incredible interview. Both of you, David, Corey, appreciate it so much. And it was my pleasure broadcasting right here at Third Phase of Moon to share with you uh, in regards to this new incredible documentary, I got a good sneak peek at it and it blew my mind and it's available now on all streaming services. The links are below. The Cosmic Secret uh, definitely revealed a lot of answers for me and I can't wait for what David and Corey do next. I got a feeling it's going to be exciting. Everybody keep your eyes on the skies. Be safe. We'll see you again next time and check it out again. The links, The Cosmic Secret. Don't miss it.